Spirit of the living God fall on us in the stories that are told, in the reading of Scripture, in the words that I speak. Move in and among us so that as we leave this place, we leave it changed and empowered to be your body at work in the world. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. In Birmingham, Alabama, in April of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested for disobeying the judge's orders to refrain from parading, demonstrating, boycotting, trespassing, and picketing. King had been asked to come to Birmingham to help with local efforts of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. In response to his presence, eight white clergymen wrote a letter that was published in the Birmingham newspaper. This letter called for unity and called for an end to protests. When jailed, King read the letter. And in an irregular course of action, he chose to respond to those ministers. He chose to respond to their criticism. As a part of his letter from a Birmingham jail, Dr. King tries to lay out for these ministers not only his motivation, but the necessity for his action. He methodically explains why he is doing the work he is, including four basic steps to a nonviolent campaign. The collection of the facts to determine whether injustices exist. Negotiation, self-purification, and direct action. What struck me in the reading of this process was the portion about self-purification. King goes on to explain how in Birmingham they had diligently collected the facts and sought to negotiate with local leaders. He reflected, as the weeks and months went by, we realized that we were victims of a broken promise. As in so many past experiences, our hopes had been blasted and the shadows of deep disappointment settled upon us. We had no alternative except to prepare for direct action, whereby we would present our bodies as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local and the national community. Mindful of the difficulties involved, we decided to undertake a process of self-purification. We began a series of workshops on nonviolence, and we repeatedly asked ourselves, are you able to accept blows without retaliation? Are you able to endure the ordeal of jail? To believe in such a cause, to have such conviction, to be prepared to endure beating is a process that I have never undertaken. And it strikes me as having such fervor that you don't simply agree with the idea, but you believe it to your core. As I thought about King's words, 
I was reminded that Jeremiah had a similar resolve, an understanding for the word that the Lord had given to him. You see, Jeremiah was a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. Our text today is from the second Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. Jeremiah has prophesied previously that Judah would fall. And to the shock of no one, the leadership of the kingdom doesn't really care for Jeremiah's prophecy. Those that are invested in their current political system seem to be in denial. The golden age of Israel has passed, but they do not want to hear that. As the Babylonians are closing in, in a last-ditch effort, King Zedekiah has called in reinforcements from Egypt and asked once more for a word from the Lord. And the message is not good. But before Jeremiah shares this word with the king, the Babylonians draw back because of Pharaoh's army. And so, Jeremiah knowing that this is only a temporary reprieve, begins to make plans. One other thing that's important for us to note as we listen to the word of God this morning is that in our lesson, they will exchange the words Chaldeans and Babylonians, or the king of Babylon. The Chaldeans are simply a group within the Babylonian empire. So let us now listen to the word of the Lord found in Jeremiah chapter 37, verses 11 through 21. If you'd like to follow along in the Red Pew Bible, you can find this story on page 637. Now, when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin, to receive his share of the property among the people there. When he reached the Benjamin Gate, a sentinel named Arijah, son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, arrested the prophet Jeremiah, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, That is a lie. I'm not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Arijah would not listen to him and arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. The officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of the secretary Jonathan, for it had been made a prison. Thus, Jeremiah was put in the cistern house in the cells and remained there for many days." Then King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be handed over to the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now please hear me, my lord king. 
Be good enough to listen to my plea and do not send me back to the house of the secretary Jonathan to die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. And a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Even though the word God sent to Jeremiah is filled with darkness, he does not live as a person who has no hope. He takes the retreat of the Chaldeans as an opportunity to plan for the future and heads to his home region to acquire his share of the land. At least, that was his plan until he was stopped by Arijah. Now, remember, as I told you, Jeremiah has already told the king and his, and his leadership that they should surrender to the Chaldeans. So Arijah isn't completely fabricating a case against Jeremiah, but he automatically assumes his motivation and will not hear otherwise. When what happens next, though, is completely unjust. Under the guise of desertion, the guards beat Jeremiah before imprisoning him. They engage in a communal unleashing of rage because they are mad about his prophecy. Then they throw him in a dungeon to forget about him, to allow him to die. Jeremiah is confident in the message of God, so confident that he is willing to speak the truth even in the face of adversity. Having been beaten and hidden away for days, Jeremiah is drawn out by the king. And you know, he could have changed his tune. I imagine that many people would. He could have simply made an omission. When the king asked if there was a word from the Lord, he could have said, Oh, I haven't heard anything yet. But Jeremiah does not falter. He brings the message to the king. He speaks truth to power. There is something about this truth speaking to which King Zedekiah is drawn. You see, Zedekiah is acting out of fear. Fear for his kingdom. Fear for his life. While Jeremiah is acting out of certainty in the word of God. You see, King Zedekiah calls to Jeremiah in secret. Having been beaten and left for dead, Jeremiah still speaks the truth. He speaks from a place of freedom. He embodies the gospel message that we hear from Jesus. The truth will set you free. I think it's this fidelity to the truth that causes the king to offer him safe haven in the court of the guard. And I don't know about you, but I want to choose that freedom that comes with being open to hear God's truth instead of the captivity that comes 
from personal certainty. Though it was Jeremiah who was physically imprisoned, Erijah and King Zedekiah experienced their own type of captivity by closing themselves off, by being unwilling to hear the word from the Lord that Jeremiah brought, they experience an incarceration of the mind. I think we find ourselves incarcerated in our own minds more often than we realize. When we choose to only see others for labels, such as, politically correct, or gun owner, protester, pro-life, or progressive, our minds become locked in a prison of our own making. We jump to conclusions that bolster our preconceived notions and bar ourselves off from a deeper knowledge of one another. And often, we miss a word from the Lord that may come from the lips of those very people we label. What if we exchanged our certainty for the pursuit of God's truth? I think that would lead me to then ask, what truth am I being called to speak? Now, this idea of truth-speaking can be a bit tricky. You see, in fifth grade, I had this classmate named Erin. And Erin really wasn't a friend of mine. She and I had a lot of mutual friends, but she was less than thrilled when we were included time after time in the same circles. Now, she wasn't a horrible person. I just choose to admit that I can be a lot to handle. I know many of you have experienced it. You see, Erin just didn't quite enjoy my boisterous nature. And so I vividly remember a time when she waited and timed it perfectly by way of announcing to the whole room that my pants were unzipped. I was mortified. I ran out of the classroom crying. And when I came back and heard her being reprimanded on the side of the class by the teacher for making a joke out of my wardrobe malfunction, I heard Aaron's reply. I don't understand why I'm getting in trouble. It was the truth. Now, while this might seem silly... It left a lasting impression on me of what it means to speak the truth. I do not think as children of God we are called to tell the truth with the intent of hurting someone else. But God does call us, like Jeremiah, to speak up and speak the truth even when it may be costly. When Jeremiah spoke up, he did so after listening to God. Just like Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of preparation for his work against injustice, I think we should prepare ourselves to speak the truth 
And that begins by making sure we are tuned in to God. By allowing ourselves time in prayer, the study of scripture, and gathering for worship, we open ourselves up to a word from the Lord. I think by making this the place where we start, it keeps us from pushing our own agendas and instead empowers us to speak the truth as God would have us do. Second, I think we must prepare by taking account of what it might cost us. You see, there are some times when I don't speak the truth because I'm worried about hurting someone's feelings, about the possible loss of relationship. Am I really loving my friends as children of God if I'm not willing to speak the truth in love, even when it's hard? There's a chance the truth God calls you to speak will cost you even more than a relationship. Perhaps you are aware of your employer's unjust employment practices, but it doesn't really affect you. It's exactly from that place of privilege that we are called to speak out, even if it might cost us our employment. Relationship and employment feel like costly stakes to me. Dr. King knew that those stakes were high. Riding from that Birmingham jail, he penned these words. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability inevitability. It comes through the tireless effort of people willing to be co-workers with God. May we have the courage to speak the truth like Jeremiah did. May we accept the challenges that being co-workers with God entails, even in the face of adversity. And may we live with hope, even when the truth feels heavy, knowing that God's kingdom will come. May we help usher that kingdom in, here and now. Amen.